Well, hey there, preachers and preachers in training. Uh, we're on sermon number four in our series called The Good Place, and I'm on with Dave Mickelson, who took the lead on this particular sermon, and also with Ross. So, uh, Dave, before we get to you and uh, kind of break down your sermon points and how you're going to present this, Ross, why don't you just give us a just a 60-second overview of where we've been in this series, uh, because this is the last lesson in the series. Right. The premise of the series is just to explore what happens after this life is over, the next life. So in our first message, we talked about death, the end of life, and without going into too much detail about what happens after death, because we've reserved that for the other messages. Then in the second message, we talked about hell, and in the third message, we talked about heaven. Okay, good. And uh, and so, Dave, what I love about this message is it is, uh, I think it's the most... It's probably the simplest one to preach in the series. I don't know what you think, but as I look at your notes, I, th I feel like, okay, this one I think will really resonate with people, and I think it's also the easiest one to preach, certainly easier than preaching on hell. Um, but we don't have to get too lost in the doctrinal weeds either, right, Dave? Yeah, I think um, this one is, is, is fairly practical, just looking at maybe three myths, maybe three misconceptions uh you know who's going to heaven and who's not and then a little bit more simple focus on what jesus said was you know the one and only way to heaven yeah so let's just real quick let's let's walk through the structure of your uh sermon with the key points and then dave um i want to ask you sort of how you're going to hook the sermon how you're going to get it started but this is where the sermon's going. It's basically three bad ideas about who goes to heaven. And you, your three bad ideas, Dave, are, number one, all religions are basically the same, right? So universalism. Number two, all that really matters is one's sincerity. And then number three, the third bad idea is that good people go to heaven. So that's more or less, that's the structure of the sermon. Did I think I might have missed one, right, Dave? No, I think that's it. Those are the first three bad ideas. It's it's basically a sermon in two parts, right. and and so you know the first part we want to just maybe attack uh, some fallacies about heaven that are actually very popular and they're very current, hmm. and that's why the kind of hook of the message is just the the shocking statistics about really fifty seven percent of evangelicals. Uh, think that many religions can lead to heaven. And so that's that's what we're going to do in this first section, is just really attack these these myths, these, but they're very popular myths. And the first one is that all religions are basically the same. And, you know, it, it's kind of funny in culture, if you say something enough, people assume it must be true. And we want to take a look at, is that even really logical? Is that really even good reason? And the truth of the matter is that all religions really are different. Um, I grew up in a different religion, so this is something I could speak to, that, that really religions have different values, they have different belief systems, they have different histories, different theologies, and different ways to get to heaven. And so to try to simplify it, that they all are basically the same, would not really be accurate or even fair to those religions. Yeah, and I like you, that you say that it's not even fair to those religions, because, um, you know, I think someone who really buys into their faith, 
they're 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 not going to concede. I don't think, for the most part, they're not going to concede the point, right? That all religions are basically the same. That doesn't mean we have to, you know, be extremist and violent, obviously, and rude. It's just that the, the faith claims of most religions are just are ver- just very exclusive. Yeah, they're very exclusive, and it's offensive to them to say that certain beliefs are the same as others, because if you are a student or a sincere follower of that religion, you would acknowledge uh, readily that there's a lot of differences. Okay, so that's good. And then, you know, your your second sort of uh, false or bad idea about who goes to heaven is that all that really matters is one's sincerity. So unpack that one for us. Yes, um, I think we're living in an age of not just, uh, we kind of move from a logical thinking society to kind of a feeling uh, approach to to truth and life, and so we say, well, if you're sincere about your faith, you know that that should be good enough. But I do talk about this example that you know, um, no matter how sincere you are, if you think you can fly, you can flap your wings all you want, and you're probably not going to be able to fly. So sincerity isn't enough. And as a matter of fact, um, you know that's why we're going to quote Proverbs sixteen twenty five here: the path. Uh, there is a path before each person that seems right, but in the end, it's death. So uh, you can be sincere, but you can also be sincerely wrong. Yeah, and I think, you know, along those lines, it's a great illustration because we would never use this argument in anything in practical life. We never use this argument to decide whether a doctor is telling us the truth or not about a diagnosis. Mm. You know, but but somehow in spiritual life, we, we think we can just kind of change the whole idea about what's true and what's relevant. Yeah, and as a, for, as a former math teacher, this is where I might jump in and say, you know, I could have a student that sincerely believes that two plus two is six, but it's just not. And, and they can come up and argue it all they want, but I'm not going to give them credit for, for that answer because it's the wrong answer. And that, by the way, is one of the reasons I like math instead of like English or something like that, because there, <laughs> there, it's not so object, it's not so subjective, right? Um, there's truth, and that's why I went into math, and I love that. And uh, and so I might right here maybe kind of take a little bit of a poke at the soft sciences a little bit, you know, like my wife who was a counts went into psychology, you know. Come on, it's all relative for those people. Yeah, and I think that even kind of leads us into the third point, and I, I think this is the probably the most popular and prevalent um, perspective about heaven today, mm-hmm. and that if you're a good person and you do some good things, then you should go to heaven, and that really only the really bad people, you know, like axe murderers and serial killers and terrorists, that they're not going to go, but, but other people you know, they try to be good, and they try to do some good things, and so good people go to heaven, and this is just very popular, uh, and that's why I think a lot of people in our country feel like they're going to heaven, because they have done some good things. They they have done some nice things, and so the question I think that we really want to address on this one, because I think this is such a powerful and, and prevalent view is, is that really what the Scripture teaches? Um, does the Scripture teach at all that your work or your effort, and especially your good works, can lead you to heaven? And 
So uh, this is something that I really want to spend some time on in the message, because I think it's clear from Romans 3.10 that says no one is good and no one in the world is innocent. And so it's kind of a false setup that in reality, God's holy and he's perfect and he's righteous. And so whatever goodness we might have pales in comparison to God. So it's pretty clear that good people don't get to heaven from a scriptural perspective. Yeah, and Dave, this is where you're pulling out the the good-o-meter, and I love this. So I think this is a great element to throw in there for anyone who's preaching. It's a kind of a fun uh, element. It's a good visual element. Why don't you explain what the good-o-meter is and how you're going to use it sermonically? Well, in fairness, Ross is here, so I stole this from Ross. But no, uh, I think I stole it, it from somebody. I think Steve Bennett okay. came up with it. <laughs> we were all retailers of the gospel. Exactly. So um, we there's a scale of, of zero, which means you're you're a vilely evil, to perfect goodness is a hundred. So we go from zero to hundred, and you know where do you decide is good enough on this goodo meter to rank so that you can qualify for heaven? And really, the scripture says that we are so far apart. Um, and even in yesterday, we, we had Easter here, and I, I just talked about God's on one side of the Grand Canyon, and he's absolutely perfect, absolutely good in his character. And five miles across is us. And even though we're pretty good or do some good things, uh, we cannot uh, approach God. We cannot make that chasm. And so no matter where we fall on that good old meter, other than perfection, uh, we are going to be separated from God. Yeah, I think what I might do here, Dave, is this is always a little more fun to do it this way, is I'll say, hey, rank yourself on the good old meter and let people give people a 10 seconds to do that. But then I probably would say, okay, now rank the person sitting next to you on the good old meter. Or rank rank your spouse now on the good old meter. And then, you know, we'll have signups in the back for marriage counseling afterward. Yes, afterwards. Yes, definitely. Yes. Hey, Will, a question. That's a great idea. A practical question is, Dave, do you know whether, are we going to have a graphic to support this? An image or yes, something? Yes, we're, we're, we are going to have a graphic on the screen, and, and I think it's great. We will have people evaluate themselves. I like Brian's idea to make it a little bit fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I might say rate your spouse, but don't tell them just so that I can <laughs> have a good rest of the day. But, mm-hmm. but yeah, we are going to have a graph. Good. Yeah, so any preachers listening to this, those will be in the slide downloads uh, on the network site. Okay, so so then, Dave, what you do at this point, you, you've got some great scripture in here, and so I'll just refer the preachers to your manuscript notes. Um, but then you come down to really the sort of the second movement. So that, like you said, the sermon is broken into sort of two movements. Number one, you you sort of set it up with three bad ideas about who goes to heaven, right? And again, those are all religions are basically the same. All that really matters is one sincerity, and then this, you know, this last one that good people go to heaven. And then you move into the second part of the, and it looks like in your notes you're going pretty quickly through those first three points, um, and, and you fit, you conclude the sermon and therefore the series um, with really just explaining that Jesus is the only way, truth, and life to heaven. And so you take John fourteen six and you unpack that to uh, to finish this sermon. 
Yeah, I think it's it's a it's a great way to finish the sermon, and it's a great way to finish the series. And we want to take advantage of this idea um, and this this question that people have is, is not only do most people go to heaven, but really much more personal. Am I going to heaven? And and if we say, am I going to heaven? Um, the next question would naturally flow. Well, then how do I get to heaven? Yeah. Uh, because we just told you how you can't get to heaven. Mm-hmm. We just tried to to kind of explode some of the myths, very modern day myths of how you can't get to heaven. So we want to we want to spend most of the message on what Jesus said is the way to heaven. Mm-hmm. And so it's really broken down into the three parts of what Jesus said that that really he is the way and he's the truth and he's the life and no one comes to the Father except through him. So, so what I just try to do is break down that verse, and he starts with that he is the way. He, he doesn't say I'm uh, a way or one of many ways, right? There's, he doesn't say uh, all roads lead to heaven, mm-hmm. and, he, and, and this is really important in our context. Um, he doesn't say I'm a way plus here's what you need to do. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we know from the original languages here, this is a definite article. We, we know that uh, he is saying there is one and only way. So it would be fair to translate this, that, that he is the one and only way. That, that would be fair. Yeah, and I like what you just said there. So, you, you know, you're, you're not just focusing on the word way. You're focusing on the word the, right? He says, I am the way. Not one of many, not a way. And I think maybe, uh, you know, you said a way plus something else. He's not just a way plus something else. Or another way to say that is he is, he is not a way with you, right? It's, he doesn't say we are the way. You and me working together are the way. Um, yeah, that's really good. Yeah. I think, I think a lo- well, I think every religion just about in the world mm-hmm. um, errs at this point. Right. That says I have to do something or be something in order to get something. Yep. And that is just not, you know, biblical Christianity. It's unique of all the the faith practices in the world that God says you can't do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, as a matter of fact, your work, uh, your effort, even your sincerity, um, I do all the work and I am the one and only way. Mm-hmm. And so that is under great attack today. In one sense, you could say, wow, that, that isn't kind of God. Um, mm-hmm. That isn't uh, fair of God. Um, but really, and that's why we use this analogy of a house set on fire. Um, when a fireman goes into a house and he sees that there's really only one way out because of damage or fire, when he goes to rescue those people and he says to them, listen, there's only one way follow me. Um, he's not being intolerant. He's not being exclusive. He's being very loving. And he's saying, listen, I want to rescue you. There's one way out and follow me and I'll get you to safety. And so I think it's actually very loving and gracious of God to let us know the way out for mm-hmm. safety and salvation. Yeah. I remember when I was younger, uh, my dad was very strict with us when it came to crossing the street. And what he did is he said, you guys have to grab my hand um, every time. And he, w- he actually punished us if we, w- if we didn't do that. And um, I remember he, ex- <clears throat> he explained that to-, to me later when I became a dad. 
you know, when, when my kids were little, he said, Hey, Brian, do you remember what I did with you? And then he explained that story. And, and he said, it, it wasn't, I wasn't trying to be mean. He said, I just knew that the safest thing for you was to learn that. And if you didn't learn that, then, then I could be putting your lives at risk. And so an outsider might think that that was really mean and cruel of him, that he would, you know, spank us if we didn't grab his hand crossing, the, if we just ran across the street, darted across the street to get a ball. But it wasn't. It was loving. It wasn't mean. Yeah, that's an excellent analogy. That'd be a great word picture for this. Okay, so then you, you go, so you say that he's the way, that that's the first, you, you break that down. Then you break down the, that he's the truth. What, how are you going to do that? Well, I think one is to help the listeners, to help our people understand the culture in which we're living. And that is a culture of relativism. And really what that means, you know, in a simple way is that we don't have objective truth anymore. We, we have subjective truth. And we, we hear things like this all the time. Well, that's your truth and not my truth. Well, you know, 20 years ago, we might have said it, well, that's your opinion and not my opinion. Well, today we've moved how we feel to kind of a truth area, and, and that's dangerous. Mm. Um, and so we want to we want to highlight that. We want to understand that uh, because relativism says there's no singular or objective truth. Um, that my feelings um, line up with truth. Now we would say logically that that's really actually kind of absurd. Um, that that. Two plus two, whether I feel like in your analogy is six, might be how I feel about it. But in reality, um, logically, that's not possible. So one of the things we want to do is just help people understand that we are living in this age of not only, I would say, uh, being subjective, but also um, being selective, that I get to choose what is truth. And so scripture really has to come in here a little bit to help us understand that truth really does matter. Yeah, and I would add one thing just homiletically here. This is a really important point, but I would encourage our preachers who are listening and preparing this, that this is uh, in service to the larger idea of the message. It's about you know uh, who is going to heaven. So this could take off a kind of a tangent on its own, and so it encouraged the preacher to remember that there's a bigger picture in this message, that we're going to link this and connect this to the, that larger theme. Yeah, and so I think Jesus is clear. He's saying he's the truth. He, again, he's, not, he's using that definite article again. Mm -hmm. he's, he's not saying I am a truth or I'm a subjective uh, potential choice you can have. And why does that matter? Because if he's the truth, then what he says is true. Exactly. And if what he says is true, then there are consequences. And that's why Romans 3, 21 and 22 is important to help people understand this idea that God has shown us the way to be right with mm -hmm. him. Yep. And, and that's truth. That isn't some sentimental feeling. That's not some subjective um a choice. It, it's a fact. It, it, it's born in history. It's born in a person, a real person named Jesus. So we want to we want to embrace that kind of in this culture that we live. That Jesus was a real person. He died a real death. He paid for our real sins, but he did conquer death so that he could forgive us and he could make us right with God. 
Now, Dave, I noticed this is in this in this portion of this of the message. I love that you bring in this passage from Judges 21, which is the ultimate relativism passage. So it shows us that relativism isn't new, really, that, that it was, uh, it was you know, the Israelites kind of fell prey to it also. You said, uh, it says, in those days Israel had no king, and all the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. And that's such a great example, or such a great descriptor of today's culture, today's relativistic culture. Everyone just does what seems right to them, right? And in, in, re- in, in Judges, it's because there was no king, or in other words, there was no authority, um, and, and, and God really wasn't the authority either for them. So for us today, if we don't have an authority, if we don't, if we don't have a sense of what is true and who gets, to, who gets to speak the truth to us, then we'll end up, uh, just like the Israelites did, in this cycle, this vicious cycle of following our own opinions and following our own quote-unquote truth, lowercase t, and then it ends up getting us in trouble, right? We get conquered just like the, the Israelites were conquered every time in that cycle. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point, and that's why that verse is there, too. To help us understand that this isn't a new problem, it's just a recycled problem. Um, It's a problem that they had thousands of years ago today, and the problem's really the same. The sin problem's the same. It's that we have this great propensity to replace God. And the scary part is with this idea of the culture we're living is we replace him with ourselves. We act as if not only maybe we're on par with God, but maybe we're even above God. And so that gives us permission to do what we want to do. So that's why this idea of truth is so important, that God is God. We are not. He describes and defines truth. And we, our job is to align ourselves to his truth, not try to replace it. Okay, so Dave, at this point, you've covered that Jesus is the way. And he's the truth. And then the last part, and uh, we're almost winding the sermon down here now, is that he's the life. How are you going to walk us through that? Yeah, I think, you know, Acts does a great service for us in the book of Acts. That in Acts 4.12, it says, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no under name under heaven, given among men by which we must be saved. And, uh, you know, God doesn't want to keep us in the dark, Um God is very clear about the path to salvation, and he's right here. It can't be any clearer. There's no other way to salvation uh, other than the the person in the name of Jesus, and it doesn't matter if they're kings or queens or presidents or leaders or rulers, whatever kind of national or international authority is, they still are under the authority of Christ, and so Um, we need to ask ourselves, you know, where am I going to really experience a meaningful life? Um, And Jesus promises that in John 10, 10. And where is eternal life found? And Jesus actually promises that in himself. He says, I am the resurrection. And so uh, this is really kind of pulling this message to a conclusion centered on the priority of Christ. So, Dave, is the concept here when you're the, when you're describing that he is the life, is the concept that he that he is the only pathway to it, like a like you said, John ten ten, a rich and satisfying life, is or is there something more? I don't know, theological. I guess I'm just trying to ask this question for those preaching, 
the way made sense in the context of the sermon, the truth made sense, right, because of relativity, but then this, this that he's the life, how, is it the John 10, 10 concept? Is that what you're going for? Um, actually, it's, 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 Acts 4.12 is good, that, that there's no one else that you can receive this, as we, we talked about right here, John 10.10, 10, this meaningful, abundant life. And there's only one way to eternal life, and that is the name of Jesus, which we know the name means the person of Jesus. And then what I try to do is show, is bring the gospel in, that help us understanding that the reason we can have this new life in Christ and this eternal life in Christ is because Jesus suffered and died once and for all. And, um, and so that he, he died so that he might bring us to God. And that's first Peter three eighteen. And so then there's this understanding that this life that we get to have comes at a cost. It comes at, at the cost of Christ's own life. And, and then Isaiah can help us too, that, that you, when you have this new life, you can understand that you not only have salvation, that you're clothed in salvation and righteousness, but that leads to great joy, that you can be a joyful Christian because of this work of the gospel that Jesus did for us. Yeah, and I would t- I would follow the same tack. I mean, I think I would give some kind of an of a acknowledgement of the John 10, 10 concept, but again, in light of the overall thrust of the sermon to keep it more um more on track you know i would i would really want to emphasize the idea of eternal life here because that's really what this message is about right yeah that's yeah. good because i think mm-hmm. at this just as preachers are preaching this you of course you know john 10 10 is talking about life now and eternal life but the, but the sermon really is more about about eternity so maybe that's a little bit more of a focus you know i think of john i think it's john 17 3 where Jesus says, and, and this is eternal life, it's to know, it's to know God and to know his son whom he sent. And uh, that, that yeah, might I be a good one a to good use idea. here mm-hmm. as well. Because he does, he is connecting it specifically to eternity in John 17, 3. Okay, right. so so Dave, so now let's let's back up a second. So this is that's kind of the, the thrust of the message right there. You've got the the first, the first thing is kind of the three fallacies, and then the second movement in the sermon is the three things Jesus says about himself, way, truth, and life. So how are you going to set up the sermon? How are you going to hook it at the beginning? And how are you going to close the sermon at the end? Yeah, I think, um, you know, sometimes when I start a sermon, I might use a story as a hook. I might use a word picture. I might use a quote. Uh, on this one, I wanted to use some statistics just to kind of shock people a little bit. And that's why I talk about a poll of 35,000 Americans. That, that is a large sample size. Mm-hmm. So you could probably have pretty good trust in the sample size that long. But what was kind of shocking about it is that 57% of evangelical church attenders believe many religions can lead to eternal life. And, and, Another poll found, and this is another hook, which I'm going to use statistics, is that evangelicals under 30 believe that there are many ways to God, not just Jesus. So, so what I want to say is culture is really influencing uh, society today, including uh, Christians. So my, my hook's going to be about some statistics, and then it's going to have a story right behind it. 
So I'm going to kind of hook you with some logic and then hopefully hook you a little bit with a funny story, but that has a little bit of bite to it, that it's entirely easy to go the wrong way. Yeah, and, and that story, just and it's in your notes for anyone who wants to look at it and read it, is basically a, a high school basketball player that went out there and shot and made made a basket, and he was intense, and it was great, but he shot it into the wrong hoop. Is that right? That's correct. And uh, as I shared with our team, I did this in junior high. So uh, I realized, <laughs> why didn't I just share my story? Why am I dumping on this poor kid? Well, because I know how embarrassing it is, I think. I don't know. Well, I but, know the rest yeah. of us, Dave, are probably going to give you credit for that. We're not going to just generically... <laughs> do that so just be ready for the outcome of that okay so that's that's really good dave and then at the end and also i notice in your notes that you're going to talk you know you say in what city in america do all roads lead to the same place it just doesn't yes because there i want to set up some logic i want us to you know god it's so funny how generations shift we we used to be such a logical society that we really we we didn't have enough heart and now it's kind of like we're all heart, and we checked our brains at the door. Hmm. And God gave us both. Um, and it even says all the way back in Deuteronomy 6, love the Lord with all of your heart and all of your mind. And so I, I, I want us to, to use our minds a little bit in this as well. Yeah, that's good. Okay, so then with that in mind, how are you going to close the sermon, right? So you, you hook with some stats and that fun story. And then you, you talk about the three bad ideas about who, who goes to heaven. And then you, you know, you use what Jesus says in John 14, six as the three, the three things we can take to the bank that Jesus is the only way, truth and life. So then how are you, cause you're closing, not just a sermon, you're closing this whole series. So what's your conclusion? Yeah, I think our goal is always to point people to the gospel and to point them to Jesus and to, to help them understand that this way to heaven through Jesus. So that's what I, I want to do at the end. Um, and I want to try to, again, kind of wrap up this idea that it's not going to be through our works. It's not going to be through our effort. It, it has nothing, getting to heaven has nothing to do with our religion. Um, you know, none of those things are going to lead us to heaven. Um, but that a relationship with Jesus starts with Jesus. If he is the way, the truth, and the life, then let's let's kind of focus this crescendo on Jesus, uh, not on good things, not on religion, um, and just talk about how the moment we uh, approach Christ, um, we get credited his righteousness, we're clothed in his righteousness, he, he exchanges our rags for his riches, and that's why Philippians 3, 9 is so important. Yeah, and I thought in, in light of Philippians 3, 9, this could be a place where a preacher would want to bring the goodometer back in, because where does Jesus score on the goodometer? You know, he's, he pins it perfect. And so he's, so his goodometer versus our goodometer, in a sense, is really the basis of rags for riches and that whole comparison. Yeah, that's yeah that sounds really good. I like that. Yeah, that I, I like it sometimes when you can take a, a word picture or even a verse, either one, and then you can bring it back at the end. So I think that's a really good idea. 
So Dave and Ross, are you at the end of this sermon that are you giving people an opportunity to put their faith in Christ? I know at different points during this series, um, preachers might want to give that opportunity, maybe even each week, but are you going to make sure to do that at the end of this sermon? Yeah, I, I think the key uh, to this sermon especially is now that you know the one and only way through the one and only person, Jesus, um, you know, the scripture says today is the day for salvation. Um, why not take advantage of what you understood today and respond right. to this generous Christ that gives this generous offer? That's great. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right, well, the sermon's called The Good Place, uh, sermon number four. The title is Aren't Most People Going to Heaven? Uh, and uh, you can find Dave's manuscript notes along with uh, slides for download and uh, the small group curriculum to go along with it. You can find all of those resources at PursueGodNetwork.org. Just go into our sermon library section, and uh, we'll see you next time as we, uh, next week we'll start a new series.